Okay, welcome to the Staunch uh, episode four uh, today. I'm very excited to have our guest, uh, U.S. Congressman Larry Bouchon, uh, representing Indiana's eighth district. So, welcome, Larry. It's good to be with you. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Uh, Ross, my co-host, is not here today. He's on vacation, so I give him a hard time when he gets back. But it's just be myself and Congressman Bouchon today. Uh, so, first things first. Uh, it's I saw where it was uh, National's Farmer National Farmers Day, so um, happy National Farmers Day to all the farmers that are obviously very crucial to Indiana, but specifically the Eighth District. So thank you for all that you guys do. Um, yeah, we'll we'll start out with getting to know uh, Congressman Bajan a little bit more. Um, just kind of talk about um, his personal life, wife, kids, and where he went to school, and your background as far as uh, your profession outside of politics and sure yeah i mean i you know i've been in congress now since uh, 2011 i but prior to being in congress uh, i was a medical doctor i was a cardiac surgeon and my wife's an anesthesiologist i've got four kids but i grew up in a small town in central illinois about 20 miles south of springfield 1500 people my dad was a coal miner worked for peabody my mom was a nurse um you know, education, my parents always promoted. So I went to University of Illinois in Champaign and then med school in Chicago at University of Illinois and then been in practice for 15 years in cardiovascular surgery before I decided to run for office because I thought we needed more healthcare providers in the government. And I think I've been proven to be right. And I always had a passion for public policy. And so my kids are all grown now. Uh, my daughter, though, is a freshman in college. She's 18. So I have three older kids, and the good news is they're off my payroll. You know, they have, they have all done well by the grace of God, and um, they have jobs, and uh, things are going well. So, um, you know, uh, it's an honor and privilege to be in Congress and represent the 8th District. And I do want to get a shout-out to the farmers, as you mentioned. It's really important. In the last couple of weeks, I've ridden on a couple of combines, one in cornfield and one in bean fields, and I have a good relationship with all the farmers. Uh, they're critical to our nation's economy and honestly to the world. So it's good to be with you today, and I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so so staying on the uh, like the farmer business front um, real quickly here. So uh, obviously you're probably familiar with the Mid-State Corridor coming through, um, like Martin County area. Um, and I think the obviously the intent is to drive more business uh, all the way from Dubois County to uh, uh, Crane, Crane Naval Base. Uh, what, what, what is your opinion about how that mid-state corridor can positively affect, and then how do you, like, I don't know, kind of, it's hard to have the balance that with then um, how that affects farmers. There's a few farmers in the area that it, it takes over 100 acres of theirs, but at the same time, it could help, you know, keep our economy going in this area, so... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a controversial issue locally in that area of my district. And, you know, I'm pretty much leave it up to the local officials in the state to decide what the appropriate approach is to the mid-state corridor. As you mentioned, the premise is, is it will make transportation easier and bring more commerce to the region. But um, some people um, have fear that, you know, going around some of the cities will, uh, will have an impact on the local um family-owned businesses that are on the main roads in those towns. So it's, you know, from a federal perspective, uh, we don't really have any role in that at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, there's positives and negatives to everything that you do. Uh, 
anytime you take away good farmland, you know, you have concerns about that. Um, but again, that's going to be up to the local officials at the county level and the state level to decide what the most, most appropriate approach is and how that balances all those interests. Yeah, I agree. It's a, you know, I understand the, the environmental side of keeping family farms in the, in the family for generations, but I I also understand trying to extend the life or bring additional business to the, to the area long-term. So, yeah. So staying on that front, um, one of the things I think president Trump did while he was in office was renegotiate NAFTA uh, and come up with USMCA and, uh, in my, my profession, uh, I, I deal with, I'm a procurement manager for a uh, big truck OEM. Uh, we work on bringing stuff that was originally sourced in China, the EU, India, in some cases, bringing it back to North America. So, and it forces uh, companies uh, like mine and, and many others to, to do the same thing. So it's a, been a positive thing. And so how do we, um, I guess, what's your two-parter? What's your opinion on that? And then two, how do we get those types of businesses to come to the 8th District and Indiana as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think the USMCA was a big win for America's workers as well as American uh, North American companies. I mean, there were, you know, NAFTA had been negotiated back in the 90s and it was outdated and President Trump, I think, did a good job balancing the interests of the people he represented, the, the citizens of the United States and American businesses, uh, but also getting uh, what I'd consider fair trade, you know, making sure that whatever we do between the three countries in North America, uh, Mexico, Canada, and the United States, it's fair to the American to the American workers and to uh, everyone else. So I I think it was a it was a major advance. The other thing is to remember in the '90s, essentially no internet, right? right. So the e-commerce stuff and the the that part of the economy as it relates to digital the digital economy wasn't part of the original deal and so we had to figure out a way to address that which i think uh for the most part they did in in a good way so i think uh, overall it's a positive thing president trump kept his word and i think um i supported that you know as far as getting uh jobs to the to the eighth district yeah trade is important um but I tell you, right now we've got to get uh, in control of inflation. We got to get control of fuel prices um, because if we can't get control of those things in the United States, it makes it difficult for new businesses to start, and it makes it difficult for current businesses to stay in business because, you know, the the fuel prices, for example, affect everything. I right. mean, uh, you know, diesel. Look at diesel prices right now, and you know, you expect truckers to be on the road independent operators, some of them, you know, and you, uh, or companies, and you see the fuel prices. And that uh, that has been a, the result, I think, of poor policy out of Washington, D.C., partially. I mean, in fairness, COVID had a big effect. But then when you have, you know, an administration there that's stymieing energy production in the United States right. uh, as it relates to fossil fuel, and then uh, in the last year passed trillions more in spending, which – I voted against, didn't think was necessary in many respects, um, and didn't get a balanced approach on an infrastructure bill that actually did what we wanted it to do. Uh, but instead, uh, a big part of it, handing out money to their political friends. Well, then you get the, this result. So 
I, I think big picture getting, you know, Indiana kind of, kind of sells itself. You know, we've got, we've got a budget surplus. We've got a fair tax code, regulatory code. I think, you know, trying to get businesses into the 8th District uh, from international locations, it depends on the overall U.S. economy. we got to get a handle on that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think with that, too, is talk about uh, inflationary costs. I think energy crisis has been a, a huge thing as well. You know, in the EU, they're um, 10, 20 times what the, the cost was uh, yeah. before all this started. And it's, you know, talking to some of them over there, it's going to be even worse. Um, so I, we're not to that point yet. You know, I, I, I think it seems like you were just talking to that we're suppressing the uh, gas prices right now. And I think before midterms or right after midterms, we'll see another spike in uh, fuel prices, unfortunately. but Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the European situation, especially in Germany, shows us what happens when you get, an energy policy that, you know, tries to address, is trying to address an issue, which I think we would all agree, uh, you know, getting our control of our emissions and in a practical way, decrease the amount of emission, you know, carbon dioxide emission that we have as we generate energy and, and as we utilize fuels, getting so far out ahead of that ideologically, where you think that you can shut down energy, you know, all energy production from the fossil fuel uh, space, and then rely on only renewables, like uh, and and then close down your nuclear plants, like Germany was doing. Uh, it, you know, just doesn't work. And and they have the highest fuel prices in the world over there. And the other thing is, I want to say on that subject is, when you are dependent on another country right. for your energy, you know, they're dependent on the Russians for natural gas. You know, do we do we want to repeat history here in the United States? No. You know, the United States can be energy independent. We don't, we don't necessarily need anybody. Uh, we just need to allow our producers to produce. And, you know, we need to have a practical timeline to, uh, it, you know, and let the market designate where we go on what we u- utilize to generate uh, energy and electricity in this country going forward. If we do that, we'll slowly continue to decrease emissions. We'll ultimately have carbon capture. Um, and we don't stymie our our economy and have fuel prices that are that are going to be unaffordable for most people i represent right yeah so that's another question i had is so what what's the solution you know given the state that we're in today do we turn on uh, more coal production and just refine that process do we use more natural gas you know what what does that look like because i mean as you probably know i mean there's really no such thing as zero emissions and these what were the materials that we're using to mine and come up with these uh, to make the batteries and you know the EVs the whole uh, EV sector is also you know carbon emissions so yeah I mean I think that's the other thing that I think the message doesn't get across from the what I'll call you know the political left on this issue the ideological people is that um, you know for example and you mentioned the electric vehicles I'm not against them at all but we don't mine any lithium in the United States. It's all comes from China and South America. Right. And the economic, the, the, the environmental damage from that mining is not even considered by people, the, well, the people in the United States as part of the mix. And then, you know, 
what do you do with the batteries when they're at the end of life? Where do you put them? You know, what do you do with them? There's an environmental impact. Solar panels, same thing. What do you do at the end of their life? Well, we're throwing them in landfills, and they got all kinds of metals and other things in them. So, yeah, you point out, you bring up a good point. I mean, you have to consider the entire life cycle of every way that you generate energy. So my feeling is, is that we have to have an all the above approach. We have to continue to look at technology advances in, in renewables, in um, nuclear, where we have these smaller nuclear reactors that uh, we can recycle fuel over and over and not have to dispense with it. We can burn a natural gas and coal more cleanly, um, which we've been doing, but also get carbon capture that's, uh, yeah, that's feasible. Um, and, yeah, we need to pursue all of those things. Technology and innovation is going to get us where we need to go. Government mandates are not. And all they're going to do is cause my constituents to pay higher prices, in many cases something they just, they just can't afford it. Right, yeah. And, you know, Warren Buffett actually just made a huge bet on, uh, on carbon capture, so I think that'll be a, a huge thing. I mean, it's already a, a thing now, it but is. I think in the future – It'll be a, a massive uh, industry to, to be in, so I hope that our federal government can uh, be productive to uh, stimulating that type of the economy. I think we will. I mean, uh, even the ideologues on the environmental left are starting to realize that, hey, if we want to get uh, to what their goals are, right, that may not ever be attainable, I'll be honest with you, but say hypothetically they want to get to their goals, they realize that, that fossil fuel is going to be part of that. Right. And so, because it's just it's just the way it is, right? It can't be done with just renewables the way they think it can. It just can't be done. I mean, I know the data. Um, so now they've realized that if we're going to use fossil fuel and they want to get to their goals, they're going to have to have carbon capture, right? And so you're starting to see political support on the, on the environmental left for developing carbon capture. And so I think you'll see that at the federal level too. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to transition into more of the medical side. Sure. Um, just because you know, Congressman Bashan has a medical background. Um, so uh, Obamacare, uh, Trump tried to repeal. And yep. in my opinion, whatever it's his fault or not, it's, you know, on his administration, didn't really have a good replacement plan, um, or at least it wasn't executed. And there's a lot of political factors leading up to why or why not that wasn't successful. Um, and I know Senator Braun in the uh, past, uh, I think it was 2018, had uh, a plan, um, but, you know, being in a disadvantage with a uh, uh, Democratic uh, House and Senate, uh, not really uh, be able to get that in place either. So what's your, like, what's the best way to repeal? I know that's a very broad question, but how yeah. do we repeal Obamacare effectively to where it, you know, is a positive thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think Obamacare per se is going to be repealed um, because it's so baked into our the way our system runs today. It's been in place for now ten years, roughly, um, and so what we have to do is, um, you know, by the way, when we were in the House majority during the Trump administration, the House we passed legislation, you know, to repeal Obamacare and to replace it with. Um, some other, uh, other what I'll call more conservative ideas to address healthcare costs and and the affordability of health insurance, but of course you know the the famous thumbs down from 
John McCain, you know, at the end uh, killed that in the U.S. Senate, so we didn't get it across the finish line. I mean, that's what happened. We we could have done it with just Republican votes, which we did in the House, but we couldn't get uh, John McCain and two other senators on our side of the aisle to support it, which was unfortunate, which is frustrating to me because, you know, when Dem- Democrats, they stick together. When they have their thing, man, they all stick together and they vote for it. We couldn't – we lost three senators. We only needed two of them, uh, and we could have uh, repealed Obamacare and replaced it. So – I don't think it's the whole law will be um, repealed. Uh, just not going to happen. However, the issue is cost in healthcare. Healthcare costs way too much money, and the, and the reason is because it's not a true free market. Healthcare is a price fixed marketplace. It's not it. The, the consumer doesn't have a lot of effect on driving down cost in most of healthcare. Now I'll use LASIK eye surgery as an example of what happens when consumers actually have some some input right that wasn't paid for that's not paid for by insurance and so you know years ago 15 years ago when it started heck it cost you four or five thousand dollars to get lasik eye surgery now you can get it for about a tenth of that price equipment's better doctors are better and why is that why is the cost down because the consumers can shop around you know and they drive the cost regular health care say you need heart surgery you can't do that because it's price fixed. You don't know what it costs. The hospitals won't tell you what the costs are. There's a third-party payer, the insurer that's in the middle. So my feeling is is what going forward in healthcare, we need to be concerned about the overall cost. And the way to drive that down is get the consumers more engaged in the process. The pricing needs to be more transparent. More Trump administration tried to do some of that. Um, and... I think, you know, when the American people see where the, all the money's going in health care, um, that uh, people will, uh, will start to push back and say, this is, this is just not the way we should do things. Here's the thing, though, and I was in health care, as you know, is the system itself does not want transparency. I mean, there's a lot of big players. There's publicly held companies, both at the hospital level, the insurance level, even the medical practice level. Uh, the pharmaceuticals, the devices, everything. And uh, I would say the system overall really doesn't want transparency because a lot of money is being made in healthcare. And uh, I know this because I've tried to do some things in D.C. to get some transparency, and politically they (laughs) they go after me. But, hey, they know know where I am on this. Uh, I'm for the people I represent, and we need to get the cost down. I think that's the way to do it. I, I don't, you know, more government usually leads to higher costs, believe it or not. Uh, and more restrictions, more regulations just are, are going to make this worse. We just need to be more free market based, get some transparency out there. Um, and, uh, you know, people that don't want to comply with that, we're going to have to put a political pressure on them uh, by getting the American people on our side to do it. Yeah. So you're saying we shouldn't be more like Canada then? No, my goodness. <laughs> You know, here's the thing about the Canadian health system that people, you know, if you're healthy, it's great. You can go to the doctor for free, free, quote unquote. It's not free, of course, because you're a taxpayer and you're paying a part of that. Mm-hmm. But if you really get sick in Canada, good luck, because the people that really get sick that have the money come to the United States to get health care because they, they limit the budget up there. They ration. I mean, and, they, and I know this for a fact. Uh, we do not want that type of a government-run system in the United States. Now, you know, we... We want a system that is cheaper, right? We want a system people can afford, that everybody can have insurance, 
And the way to do that is not bring in more government. It's actually to bring in less government, in my view, and get a more price-transparent free market where the consumer actually can put pressure on the system to drive the cost down. Yeah. That's the way I see it. Yeah, and so on that um, on that other front, so with COVID, um, I know obviously vaccines were very polarizing, um, especially during the pandemic, um, and vaccines were pushed, and you know, even uh, here in the Eighth District, you know, a lot of people were threatened um, at the Crane Naval Base to lose their jobs. So I think a lot of, especially Republicans, think that's that's wrong. Um, but is there, should Americans be concerned about the um, the mRNA vaccines and what they put into their body? Because you know through the news state news articles that have recent and I mean really for the past six months, it seems like there's a lot of side effects that are spilling over and to me becoming more obvious as it's probably. Um, coming from the vaccines yeah first of all let me just say it's a that's a two there's two pieces to that answer one is going to be on the government side and i'm ad adamantly against government mandates for any medical procedure this is a free country the government should not tell you that you have to get a vaccine or you lose your job for example right so that's that's the first thing as a medical doctor i think people should get vaccinated for, for COVID. And, uh, but I think it needs to, again, be a personal choice. I mean, if you look at the, the MRNA vaccine, that technology has been around for a couple of decades. There's no risk per se from the MRNA piece of it. It doesn't change your DNA. Uh, in fact, the MRNA that st- stimulates the immune response actually uh, is destroyed in the, pro- in the process from the vaccine. It just stimulates uh, you you to develop an immune response. So I I don't. There's not a risk, particularly because it's an mRNA. That technology has been around. Um, now everything you put in your body has risk, and there were there are people that have had substantial reactions to vaccinations of not only for co- of COVID but all kinds. And so you need to talk to your doctor before you get vaccinated. I'd recommend everybody talk to your doctor, go over your medical history, and make sure you're not in a group of people that maybe you shouldn't uh, get, a, get, get a, va- a vaccine, whether it's this one or others. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think that um, the risks are extremely low. We have seen in young in teenagers and in some kids, they've developed a inflammation around their heart, which is real. The, the, numbers of, the numbers, though, of the millions and millions of people are low, but they're not zero. And so this is something people need to factor in. Again, you need to talk to your doctor, see what your risks are. So um, honestly, I overall, uh, from a population perspective, people I don't think should be concerned about getting the COVID vaccine. Um, and I've been vaccinated. I've had one booster. Um, but again, I don't believe in government mandates. I don't think the federal government should, uh, or state government for that matter, uh, mandate any medical procedure for anyone. It's a free country. If you make that decision between you and your doctor um, and, uh, and go from there, depending on uh, your medical conditions. But um, I think overall, you know, if you look at the data, what it's showing is 
you know, the complications from the vaccine are not zero, but statistically in the medical world, like, like I deal in, they're extremely, extremely low. But because we have 24-hour news and social media, we just find out about more of those than we did with other vaccines or other medicines. But That's fair. But again, talk to your doctor. You know, have that discussion. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, make that decision uh, between you and your doctor. Let me say one last thing on this. We are not testing people for natural immunity to COVID uh, like we should be. The doctors like myself on the Republican side have been pushing the the federal government to develop, to help develop testing for people who we know have had COVID um, and what their level of immunity is. Because if you have had COVID, uh, clearly, you develop a natural level of immunity. And we need to be able to get a test that says, look, you don't need the vaccine because you've had COVID, you have antibodies to COVID, and you're, you're immune. So rather than talking about vaccinated people, we should be talking about immu- people who are immune to COVID. And that can either be through the vaccine or through natural immunity through having had COVID itself. Yeah. Okay. Good points. Um, so that was more the hot topic of 2021 and early 2022. Now, hot topic now with uh, as far as medical care goes is the uh, transgender surgeries. Um, and I'm not really talking about um, the, you know, plus 18 people. Um, you know, there's another conversation to be had about that, but more so kids, right? And uh, I know recently the Daily Wire um, had an article and a conversation um, on Vanderbilt and their clinic yep. um, offering it to kids. And uh, I think they temporarily got it stopped, but I, I guess um, there's a lot of money to be made in those surgeries, right? So, you know, how real is, you know, I guess I should just start with this. What's your opinion on the transgender surgeries? Well, kids? For, yeah. Well, first of all, I'm adamantly against it. I mean, of course. I mean, you know, if you're 18 or older and you're an adult, again, it's a free country. Um, you know, and you can make these medical decisions yourself. But, you know, from a medical doctor perspective, it's almost, it's outrageous that we would be considering allowing children or teenagers to have a surgery that can can completely change their lives permanently. This is not something, hey, I changed my mind when I got to be 19, I thought it was a bad idea. Once I had more information and I understood and I'm an adult and I can make adult decisions. So these are, per- these are permanent things. So I, d- I think it's, it's, it's wrong. It's, I'm adamantly against it. Um, you know, I mean, young people going through puberty and stuff have all kinds of emotions and, and thoughts and changes. You know, we've known this for decades, right? And to make, uh, you know, to allow, without parental consent, by the way, in many right. cases, yeah. permanent anatomic changes and physiologic changes to young children, uh, I think is, honestly, I think it's medical malpractice. I really do. Should not be, should not be allowed. Yeah. It seems like, uh, you know, the Vanderbilt's just one situation that a bunch of people are sitting in a boardroom and they're saying, Oh, how can we get more money? And 
oh, well, transgender, uh, I don't want to say transgenderism, but the ideology is popular right now on the left. So they feel, like, I, in my opinion, they feel like they can get away with pushing that across the board. And, oh, by the way, it, it generates millions of dollars for our, our hospital. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I look at this, obviously, from a, me- pure, from a medical perspective. Uh, and from, you know, um, from a medical perspective, uh, again, permanent life-changing surgical procedures uh, for minors, um, you know, when, when people don't really, I think, have a fully developed um, way to assess risk and all of those things for themselves and need the assistance of adults, is just wrong. I think medically, you know, again, if you're 18 and you want to make a medical decision, it's a free country, and, you know, you can make that decision as a legal adult, well, you know, I might disagree with you, but that's your decision. It's a free country. Um, But, you know, it's shameful, honestly, in any medical field, whether it's a hospital or a physician, to talk about, hey, we can make a bunch of money doing this. I mean, I didn't go into medicine uh, so that I could try to find entrepreneurial ways to perform different surgeries on people to make money. I, I want to, you know, healthcare providers, especially a university hospital, should be looking out for the best interest of the patient and what's in the best medical interest of this, of this individual and patient and do the right thing. Talking about trying to make a bunch of money off something like this, I think, is shameful. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, so one of the last topics I have is uh, uh, Biden's uh, infamous anti-MAGA Republican speech yeah. he made. It might have been August, early September. Um, I mean, I'm, that's no surprise to anybody that pays attention, right? That's uh, something that they've thrown out there, so it doesn't really phase me per se, but it's getting scarier and scarier in the sense of what their agenda is and what they think they can get away with. So, I mean, what what can we do as American people? You know, I've said on other episodes that this is a grassroots organization, you know, yeah. camp campaigns, grassroots. How do we get involved and, like, basically put a stop to to this as yeah. free Americans. Well, f- well, first of all, I mean, they're using this MAGA Republican thing because they've, they've poll tested it and they focus group tested that language. And they think it is to their advantage to say that amongst independent voters, right? I think they're wrong personally. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, the speech the president gave, I don't know if I've ever seen in my lifetime and I'm 60 years old, a more divisive, um, negative speech um, with that kind of background, with the, mil- the active military members in the background. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I mean, uh, that that divisive like that. Um, you know, with the red background and and uh, military people in the back- right. background, very divisive. So, uh, honestly, I I think how people can ha- uh, fight back against this: get out and vote. I, I think you have to show up at the polls and you have to vote these people out of office. Uh, you know, they also don't understand uh, us here in the Midwest and in the 8th District particularly. I mean, they, they're, you know, that kind of speech is from, from a East Coast elitist 
perspective, right? I was just saying this yesterday when I'm out in the far, on the farm, you know, and I'm riding the combines and I'm talking to people of manufacturing and everything. It's like the, the, the leftist coastal elitists right now just don't understand all these great Americans that live out here. Right. You know, they don't understand that they don't understand it at all. In fact, they would, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, what a president Obama call, you know, what, carry our Bible and, and what, you know, all the negative thing he said about people like us, I mean, people like good people in the Midwest. Again, my dad was a coal miner. Mom's a nurse. Um, so that speech came from someone that really just doesn't understand the America that he lives in. I mean, he, he, he just doesn't understand the people. And so I think, uh, honestly, I think the best thing to do is just get out and vote and, and vote them out of office. Because, you know, there's no real reason, honestly, to... I mean, you can push back and say, well, you mean MAGA Republic? Well, I mean, you know, what, what is the... First of all, what is a what is a, pers- a MAGA Republican? Make America great again. Yeah. I mean, who could be against trying to make America great, right? right. Um, they just, it's just a total lack of understanding. What, what, what does he mean? I mean, why would that be... A, why is that a negative thing? And part of that is they're still fixated on Donald Trump. Right. They just cannot get their their brain around <laughs> why the American people would have elected Donald Trump president. And so, honestly, in one way, in, in some ways, that's good for conservatives because if our opponents don't even understand why they're losing and why and why what they're saying isn't being bought bought into by the American people then that helps us. I mean, that helps us get our message out that good old American values, faith, family, uh, and, uh, you know, hard work, entrepreneurialism, freedom, individualism, um, all the things that America has stood for since our founding, essentially, why those things are good. Um, and, uh, you know, the more, they, the more they try to denigrate us, I think the more powerful... Uh, Americans that believe in these traditional values become, uh, particularly at the polls. Yeah, and so there's um, two things in the Republican Party I pay attention to the most, but as far as going to the polls, it seems, you know, we just had a primary in Indiana here earlier in 2022, and the the attendance at the polls was pretty low. And yep. It's a primary, and, you know, there wasn't um, a huge amount of races, and and most of the Republicans that in the bigger offices um, ran unopposed, right? So, but it, there's almost like a bigger problem of apathy, right? Of uh, people in the millennial generation, my generation and younger, they don't really care, or they feel like their vote is just one vote, and it doesn't it doesn't matter. So that's one, and I'll get to the other after this answer. But how how do we get that generation, my generation, yeah. to the polls more? Well, I mean, I think. I think this election, you're going to see your generation, you know, the younger generation. I have kids who are 29, 27, 24, and 18. And I think people who are in their 20s and 30s right now who are seeing the downside of, you know, what is happening in their in their country economically, right? People who are trying to get their lives off the ground and they see the inflation and the high fuel prices and all these things are seeing – the direct effect that national level politics can have on their lives every day in their hometown. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I, I think this election, you're going to see more of a turnout. 
you know, historically, like when I was in my 20s and 30s, my generation of people voted at a much lower level than they do now, you know, at my age 60. I think over time you start to see, hey, this stuff really does affect me. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I, so I don't think necessarily this generation is much different than ones in the past. But let me say this. I mean, you know, how would you like to be in one of these provinces in Ukraine that was annexed by Vladimir Putin? And when they had an election to say, hey, do you want to be in Russia or you want to be in Ukraine, that military people came to their door mm-hmm. with the ballot right? and said, here's the ballot. You want to be with Vladimir Putin or you want to be with Ukraine? Right. I mean, what are you going to do, right? right. That's hence the reason they had, what, 90, 90, over 90% of people voted and said, oh, yeah, we want to be part of Russia. <laughs> well, yeah, because they'd get dragged away by the, by the military people, you know, never to be seen again. So, you know, I, the message I try to get across to people is your vote matters. Every vote matters because we're in a country where you have the freedom to vote for whoever you want, no matter who that is, right? You can even vote for people that, that 99% of the society doesn't agree with, right? right. And nothing's going to happen to you. You know, nobody's going to knock on your door and say, hey, you know, you just voted for someone from this party and, you know, we're going to, we don't like that. Um, so that's the message I try to get across. And then, I, you know, we had an election a number of years ago down in uh, Posey County area. The state representative won by eight votes. You know, and as it turns out, had more family members of their opponent turned out to vote, they probably would have lost by, you know, lost the election. Yeah. So when I talk to young people, particularly high school kids, and I've done that recently, I'm like, your vote does matter, you know, and... Uh, because races can be close, um, and uh, people need to need to get out there. But I think the main thing is right now, um, more and more awareness people have, young people have, particularly about how these elections actually do impact you. I mean, you can't just go through life oblivious to national level or state or local level uh, political elections because it's has has a direct effect on on your life and. Uh, yeah, it's a tough message to get out there. Yeah. It really is. Uh, I do think, honestly, I do think, and some people propose this, that election day should be a, maybe a, uh, a federal holiday because I can't tell you the number of people I talked to said, oh, yeah, I meant to vote, you know, but I got tied up at work and I just didn't get there, you know. Um, I don't think that's actually a bad idea, you know. Yeah. Let, let's put some more importance on this and say, hey, this is important enough that on fed- on national election days, you know, it's a paid federal holiday for people at work. You know, I mean, employers might be against that, but the reality is it's that important. It's that important that people have the freedom. They don't have to worry about going to work that day. They can get up and go vote. Yeah, I agree. And then on the other side, there's a portion that call themselves Democrats, but they would probably agree to about 90% of what we said here today. But they're the old school Democrats where, they cared about America. They had the same end result goal that we wanted, but just had a different way to get there, yep. which was easy to work with, right? Especially yep. in your neighborhoods and your communities. But now they're, you know, whether it's social media or CNN or whatever they're watching, that's telling them that they, that is drifting them far to the left or they just oblivious to what their party represents today. And I guess, you know, being a, a vet, 
from in Congress, how do you try to go out and get that vote and get them to show up and vote uh, red on election day? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my message is, is action is a lot more important than words, right? I mean, yeah. you can have political rhetoric out there, but look at the results, right? I mean, look at the administration, you know, through CNN and their other media partners, basically, trying to say, look over here, what you're feeling every day and what you're experiencing every day in your life isn't really happening, you know. Yeah. You know, you know, inflation's not that bad. Fuel prices are coming down. They're not that bad, even though they're a dollar and something more a gallon than they were when the president came into office and going up again. So look at, you know, I think the way you get that message across to people on the grassroots level is, Look at what the results are. What the results are, and not what the political rhetoric is. I think I think a lot of Democrats, particularly in Southern Indiana, over the last ten years, have really gravitated more. I would say more towards independent voters that are open to voting for Republicans in elections. Um, they may still be a registered Democrat, but a lot of them, uh, you know, they're they're voting for Republicans. We know this because we've seen polling, and yeah. you know, in the last ten years, things that things have changed. My dad, for example, my dad was a union coal miner, but my dad was a conservative guy. I mean, he was a John F. Kennedy Democrat, right? And believed in fiscal control, didn't believe in big government handouts, believed in hard work. Uh, I mean, you know, he had the same values that I would say Repu- mostly Republicans have today. Um, and so, you know, at the, he wouldn't, my mom, though, was still very liberal and <laughs> loved Hillary Clinton and all that, oh, right? Oh, yeah. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, in fact, when I first became a member of Congress, I she did a reception when she was the State Department for new members, and and I talk, talked to her, and I I said, my mom really liked you, uh, Secretary Clinton. Can I get a signed photograph? And about a week later, I got a signed photograph from my mother in the office, and I gave it to my mother. Um, and she was so excited. She got a signed picture of Hillary Clinton. I wasn't able to convert her. I haven't been able to convert her. But my dad, my dad would go into. I guarantee you, when he was he passed away now, but when he was alive, he'd go in there and vote for Republicans. He just didn't bother to tell my mom that he did it. And I think you see a lot of that. But I think action is more important than words, right? I mean, again, the administration right now is trying to say, don't believe what's happening to you. Believe what we're saying. Right. And people are smarter than that. You know, I mean, I think a lot of these elite, liberal elites particularly just assume the American people, you know, aren't smart enough to see with their own eyes and with their own pocketbook what's happening to them, right? I would disagree. I think the American people are pretty smart, and they can figure that out. Um, so I think that's the thing, you know. Whatever party you're in, you know, um, you know, if your party has changed and left you, look at what the actions are, not what the rhetoric is, um, and decide which way you're going to vote. All right. And, yeah, when you've got the Biden administration out here saying, you know, if you ain't black, you you, you know, you're not a Democrat. If you're this, you're that. You know, their identity politics is a, a game they love to play. Yes. And to me, it's always a signal that we're that we have better ideas on the right when they bring out the same three issues, which is racism, abortion, and uh, gay marriage, right? So as soon as they bring those out on the red carpet, you know that we're getting too close to people and we're we're getting through to them, and it stirs everything up again. Yeah, I firmly believe this is a right-of-center country. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, most of this country still believes in faith, family, 
um, you know, community. Um, and uh, I think you're right. I mean, when when we start to um, get a higher percentage of the, the African-American vote, which President Trump did, by the way, African-American men all approaching 30 percent approval rating and 30 percent of the vote amongst, you know, for Democrats, that's part of their base. I mean, they can't win elections if they don't, if they, if that keeps changing. And you're going to see that in this election with the Hispanic vote. I mean, the polling showing that the Hispanic population are leaving Democrats in droves. And the reason they are because Hispanic population are hard workers. They believe in faith, faith and family. Uh, they believe in America. You know, many of, many of them who... Uh, like my, my family immigrated to the United States in the early 1900s from Hungary. They believe in the promise of America, and the Democrats today, you know, are trying to make them try to tell everybody how, how bad America is, and you need to vote for us because um, because America is on the wrong track. And like you said, bring up issues that most Americans, you know, a lot of Americans, particularly on race, uh, most Americans today, you know, believe that. Everybody should have an equal chance, every, right. equal opportunity. It doesn't matter where you're from, what what your race is, what your uh, religion is. You know, it matters what how you, what your values are and what you're like as a as a person. And the identity politics stuff on the Democrat side is catching up to them, I think, um, because most of the American people are just like, come on. I mean, you, you know, we're we're just all Americans here trying to trying to have a good life in a free country. Uh, quit telling us, quit trying to tell us that we have to divide ourselves into, into these groups, right. uh, you know, and pit one group against the other when we're all Americans, all, like I said, just wanting to, wanting to live a, a good life and, and uh, be free and have the freedom to be successful and do the things we want to do. So I think it's catching up to them. I think they're going to realize that even more after November. Yeah, I agree. We've got to quit being the, the sacrifices to – you know, prolong their agenda and get them to, to power as, as they view us. So yep. I agree. Okay. Um, we'll close with some more relaxed uh, questions. Sure. Uh, what are you reading right now? What's your book or what's your favorite book you've read? Either Well, one. right now I'm listening to the audio uh, audio book of George Washington's biography by Chernow. It's a, he's the same author that wrote the book, um, Alexander Hamilton that the, that the stage musical was based on. So right now I'm listening to that audio book uh, uh, about George Washington. I'm, right now I'm about three-fourths the way through. George Washington is about halfway through his uh, uh, first term presidency. Um, I read a lot of things about the history, you know, of the United States, particularly the Revolutionary Era people and the Civil War people. I grew up close to Springfield, Illinois, so I'm a big Lincoln fan, President Lincoln. Um, but right now, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, uh, I'm listening to. Uh, and uh, it's fascinating. I mean, uh, when you, uh, and you go back to George Washington and, and, and that era, and, you know, when people think, oh my gosh, things are so bad today. Hey, you should go back and read a little bit about the fight over the Constitution when they put the Constitution together. And realize that all the founding fathers didn't agree with each other, right? Right. And the battle, and but here's the thing. They agreed with one thing. They agreed with the promise of the future America that they were putting together, right? And so they, again, had maybe a different pathway to get there. But the one thing they didn't waver on is they, they agreed with 
the premise of what uh, what the future America would look like um, based on what they did. And uh, again, we need to get back to that today. Okay, have disagreements and stuff. Quit dividing each other into groups. Um, you know, and realize that uh, we need to get back to the to this. Uh, really developing idea of self-governance. Right. We're young, you know, our country's yeah. young compared to the rest of the world. Uh, and all realize that we need to, you know, fight for American values. So that's why I read that stuff because it kind of puts things into, into perspective about today's world. Um, and I'd say that at some speeches when I do give political speeches, I mean, imagine if you woke up, you know, uh, you, you, you woke up on in December of 1776 and you were George Washington. Yeah. Right. Your troops are freezing to death. You don't have any food. Looks like you're imminently going to be defeated by the British. Uh, and guess what? The future Americans didn't get defeated. Right. They stood up. They banded together. Or imagine if you woke up, you know, in in its March of um, uh, 1861 when President Lincoln was just getting ready to give his first inaugural address. At that time, you didn't go into office until till later, till March. Um, and you realize that the day you're given the speech, states were leaving the union, right? Literally. And you're trying to, you're the president, you wake up that day, or you're a citizen. So um, it puts things in perspective for me to read these these things, and right now I'm I'm into George Washington. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that you're like, well, we could use that type of temperament today. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Top... I would say top movie, but top three or five movies. It's hard to pick one. Yeah, right now, I mean, I I just watched uh, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, it's good, right? It was really good. Yeah, yeah. It was. yeah I mean, uh, you know, I mean, uh, um, obviously, I mean, that was the most recent one. But you know, uh, the movie Lincoln by Steven Spielberg, I've seen maybe three, four times, um, and uh, it's just inspiring. I think to uh, I thought it was very well done. Also, yeah, I agree. Um, and then, you know, I like, uh, I, I, uh, believe it or not, like, um, musicals. So I've watched some old school movies, sometimes some of the, uh, the, uh, musicals from the fifties and maybe okay. even, even the sixties, um, you know, um, and you know, that's the kind of thing I watch. I mean, I watch contemporary stuff, but if you, you know, best movies, you know, are pretty standard that everybody watches, but I'd say, for me, because of my role in, in the Congress, you know, uh, Lincoln and that movie by Spielberg is, uh, I still, I mean, it's still something that, uh, for me, is a, is a good movie to watch. And what about music? What, uh, what if you... Yeah, I listen to all kinds of genres. I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so, yeah. you know, I'm a late 70s, early 80s <laughs> rock and roller, you know, with yeah. uh, my favorite band in high school was kiss okay. <laughs> okay i had every album they ever made yeah. uh, including their solo albums believe it or not they did make solo albums <laughs> uh nobody's heard of them because they weren't very good but i had them uh, you know and journey and groups like that from the 80s but also i my mother again was really into uh stage musicals and, and uh, that type of thing and she was really into opera music now i don't pretty like really like opera music very much, but I do listen still to some uh, musical soundtracks, and I like artists like Andre Bocelli and people like that. 
those are kind of my base. And then uh, contemporary country music I listen to a lot. My dad now was an old school, uh, you know, Tammy Wynette, George yeah. Jones, uh, those that type of country music. And I still play that every once in a while because it reminds me of my dad when I play it, you know. A little bit of Merle Haggard every once in a while and Johnny Cash. But I listen to contemporary country music that you hear on the radio today. So I love music overall. The one the only type of genre I have not been able to get into is is jazz. And uh, I've tried real hard. I bought a Miles Davis CD a number <laughs> of years ago. Uh, but I love music overall. But I would say, you know, 80s rock and roll, uh, contemporary country, and every once in a while do a little bit of retro old school country music. Yeah, I have to do that too. I, you know, some of the, I like contemporary country. Uh, sometimes I have to reverse it back to like Waylon Jennings or something. Oh yeah. Love it. Go back to the storytelling is where it's yes. more authentic. Right. So oh, yeah. I hear you. Okay. So what's, what's next for Congressman Sean? Um, you know, you have the election coming up and you know, what, where do you see yourself in the next, you know, five, six years and, um, after you're done yeah. with your political career, what, you know, what are you going to fall back on? And, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think my goal is, you know, has always been since I went to Congress is get the cost of health care down for the American people. Right. Um, make it simpler for people uh, to navigate the system. I mean, I've been disappointed, honestly, in the last 11 and a half years, honestly, with both parties about the lack of progress in on cost. And uh, it's frustrating um, because, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, the the system itself doesn't really want much transparency, and there's a lot of money involved, and and it's a really tough nut to crack. So, my goals are going to be going forward, uh, at least for this next term. You know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. I don't predict things out past the next term. Uh, is to get health care costs down. The other one is I think you're going to see Republicans address energy. We, we really have got to clarify an, a, a U.S. energy policy that's pragmatic, practical, and doable, that makes keeps costs down and keeps energy reliable. I mean, do we really want to have rolling blackouts or rolling brownouts? Uh, because we've shut down prematurely all of our ga- uh, natural gas-fired power plants and we don't have, you know, we get a cold winter or a hot summer and we don't have enough backup energy. Do we really want to do that? So I would say those two areas. My big focus is going to be on getting cost of health care down, getting more transparency in the system, make it simpler for people to navigate, and create an, an energy future where America can continue, can continue to thrive with low-cost, reliable uh, energy. Those are going to be my goals. I don't really think about what I'm going to do, uh, uh, you know, in the future. I do want a third act. I mean, I've been a heart surgeon. I've been <laughs> in Congress. Um, I firmly believe that you should serve in the government, and then you should, uh, you know, you should move on and and have an, uh, another another act in in your uh, in your career. And so, uh, when that'll be, I don't know. But uh, but I don't really think about it too much. I'm focused on the uh, these other issues right now. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you again for, for joining us today. Um, thank everyone for, uh, giving this a listen, um, episode four of the staunch and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me.